Our scripture reading today is taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1 through 11. And our sermon title today is Settle Your Disputes. This is the Lord's word. When one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more than matters pertaining to this life? So if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle the dispute between the brothers? But brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers. To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. May the Lord bless us in the reading of his holy word. Good morning, everyone. Oh, it's good to see everyone uh, once again on this cold chilly morning. Before we get into our text today, I just want to say a couple of things um, to all of you to challenge you and hopefully to encourage you as well. Um, believe it or not, 2018 is almost over. Can you believe it? We have basically one month left until this year is over. By God's providential grace, he, he, he has given us these calendar years to sort of sort of mark how our lives have been going. And I know that some of you are probably already reflecting on 2018. What has happened in your life? What has happened in the lives of loved ones? And perhaps it was a, a good year for you. Perhaps it was a difficult, even challenging year for you. But my challenge to you is this, brothers and sisters. It's for you to reflect and ask yourself, how has Christ grown in my life over this past year? How has he been magnified in my life over this past year? And there are very simple things that we can look at. Number one, in my reading of Scripture in 2018, 
What are some passages that God has spoken to me? What are some passages through which he's shown me a part of my life I've never seen before? God's word does that. God's word does not return void when we read his word. Now, if you haven't read his word in 2018, you still got a month left. How has your prayer life been in 2018? Can you see how your, your prayer requests have changed during the year, even during the, the last five, ten years as, as you have grown? How have your prayers of, of praise to the Lord changed over this course of this year? If your prayer life hasn't changed, still got a month left. What sins have God has God been revealing to you in your heart that you've been struggling to repent of and by God's grace perhaps actually being able to repent of them? to make a change for the Lord. God does not waste time. We are the ones who waste time. There are no circumstances that God gives you where we can say, well, I didn't have time for that. No, God gives you all those circumstances. What's important for us as God's people is that we see Christ and magnify Christ in all those things. Another thing for you to, to consider doing is to ask people who are close to you and say, how have I encouraged you in walking with Christ this last year? How have I discouraged you from walking with Christ this past year. And if right now your heart is sinking, going, I have, I have no one to ask, or if I ask someone, they're just gonna, they're gonna rip me to shreds. Go before the Lord and say, Lord, I don't know where this year went. Forgive me. have a month left. To love people I need to love. To let your word again start a new work in me. That you may be magnified. And I encourage all of you as you sort of hopefully Finish this year strong with the Lord. Start planning for 2019. <clears throat> Lord, I need to read some books about X, Y, and Z in my life. Lord, I need to memorize and meditate on some scriptures about X, Y, and Z for 2019. Lord, I need to 
get my prayer life in order with you. I need to learn to repent again. The Lord is merciful as we read. His mercies are new every morning. And God does love you exactly where you are. But God loves extends so far that he does not leave you where you are. He changes you. Don't be fearful of that change. Don't be fearful of going to God. Know that whatever he's going to do in your life is for your good and for his glory. And so when you go to him and ask for forgiveness and go to him and ask him to change your life, he will. But in the end, to all of it, is your joy. 2018, we got a month left. Start reflecting now. And I pray that the Lord, by His Spirit, through His Word, and perhaps by good family, brothers and sisters here, that perhaps one of you confess your sins to one another and say, I've been a real bad brother this past year. Perhaps you can encourage one another and say, thank you for the way you encouraged me in 2018. But either way, start anew and say, let's walk together that the Lord may be magnified. So our Lord is good. He wants us to give us the joy that he has stored for us in heaven. In our passage today, we see Paul's continued concern about the purity of the church, the, the sanctity of the church. We know that Paul has taught us already that we who believe in Christ Jesus have been washed by his blood. We've been justified. We are legally before the Lord, innocent. And God takes us in and he loves us. But Paul also recognizes that, that within the church, there's always going to be issues and problems and scandals. And in fact, we as a church should never be surprised when there are issues, problems, and yes, even scandals. In fact, I would say to the world out there that, that, that the fact that the church has problems, the church has scandals, goes to show you that we come to Jesus, well, as we are. That we're not sort of this cultish group that sort of brainwashes people, that, that binds people's wills to, to do anything. But we as a church acknowledge that even we who come to him will often have moral failure. But the moral failure is actually a sign that, that the church of Christ will always be wrestling 
with purity, with being what God intends us to be. Even here in our church today, and in every church that we have, there will be always matters of disputes, always causes of, 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 um, of, of fighting, of rifts amongst one of us. But oftentimes when we hear about the word purity of the church, we, we, we reckon back to the Puritans, and we reckon back to sort of what the, the American culture thinks about Puritanism. When we think about purity and the Puritans, we think only about sexual purity. And it's not that the Bible doesn't address that. Two weeks ago, we, we saw that, that, that purity within the church, sexual purity, is the utmost importance to the Lord. That when we sin with our sexuality, we sin against our own bodies. And we sin against the bodies of other people. And we understand that when we unite ourselves with someone who is, who is not our spouse, that we, unite our, that we actually unite our bodies with that other person, with God himself. There is a spiritual deep aspect to our sexuality. And God encourages the, the people of God to refrain, to abstain until such time where that sexuality can be used for his glory. But we also learned two weeks ago that there will be some of us who, who will never able to express our sexuality, will be called to singleness. And that our identity is more than our sexuality. Our identity is children of God. And God knows what is best for us. But oftentimes in our churches today, we, we, we put sexual purity on this, this pedestal. That if we simply reach this idea of notion of what it means to be pure, then I guess I'm okay. I'm okay as a Christian. I'm okay in the eyes of my brothers and my sisters. But what I love about this passage in verse 9 and 10 is that Paul goes to tell us that purity is beyond simply sexual purity. That the purity that God demands is a purity in almost every ethical field that you can think of. Look at verse 9. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexual immoral, okay, nor idolaters. Those people who bow down to, an, to another God, adulterers, men who practice homosexuality, all right? No thieves. Anyone here ever steal? Nor the greedy. Anyone go to a buffet line and stand first? <laughs> Nor drunkards. Nah, no one drinks too much in here. No revilers. How about swindlers? Anyone practice their, their business in such a way that money goes a little bit funny here or there? Will inherit the kingdom of God. But the purity of the church that he's talking about is that he wants to elevate all the sins that we understand and know to the same um, same basis 
as sexual purity. In other words, in order to inherit the kingdom of God, everyone has to be pure in all of these things. Neither one is sort of, sort of higher on the list than the other. All of these deserve punishment according to Scripture. And so for even as us as God's people, when we look around this room, we have to be careful that we don't sort of raise sort of one sin to an acceptable sin and raise and lower another sin to, oh, this is unacceptable. For us, for us to see every aspect of our life needs to be pure and offered to the Lord. Imagine if, if for some reason we were able to, as a church, to sort of go through everyone's finances. And then perhaps the, we as a church, we looked at everyone's finances and we looked at each other and said, the way you handle your finances, you're a swindler. You need to be disciplined. Most of you go, whoa, whoa, you can't do that. That's not fair. That's not right. Money is mine. My sexuality, whether I'm chasing around, okay, here, I'll, I'll share all of that. But my money is mine. In a sense, we as God's people, even with our money, need to be open with one another in such a way that we ourselves don't fool ourselves into using the things that we have for our own purposes alone. Or there may be some of you here who are just by nature, you're, you'll say, I'm just an angry person. I'm just angry. Just the way I am. You know, just my sarcasm and my bitterness just comes out, you know, just when I want to. And you just have to take it as it is. Why, is people, why are people looking around about what? <laughs> I was like looking around. Um, those people as well are not welcome into the kingdom of God apart from Christ. There's no excuse for that. We need to go to one another who are believers and say, you can't do this. Just like you can't be sexual and moral, can't be greedy with your money and self-serving with your words. The purity of God's church is more than our sexuality. The purity of God's church entitles every aspect of the life that God has given us. And this is why in this passage it seems like Paul is talking about a very trivial thing. But he's not because his idea of purity runs deep. 
He just talked about sexuality. He just talked about um, sexuality within marriage and, and what it means to, to be single. And now he goes on to what? Well, if one of you have a grievance against another, and he goes on to say in verse 2 that these are trivial cases. These aren't complicated. Perhaps in our parlance today is so-and-so lent so-and-so $20 and that person's not paying that person back and they're going to go to small claims court for it. We would all go like, really? Really? And Paul shames them and says, isn't there anyone in this church who's competent enough to mediate this case? Are you serious? There's no one in this church who can figure out how to figure out 20 bucks? You're going to let this fester in this church and cause dissension and strife. And Paul goes on to say that not only is it a detriment to the church, but it's a detriment to the witness of the church. You have to go to to a judge? You have to appeal to the civil law? You have to go to a small claims court? I can imagine something like this. You go to a small claims court and says, listen, I lent $20 to my brother so that he can buy food for the potluck that we have church at every Sunday to welcome people and to love people, and now he's not paying me back. And what does Paul say? You're showing the unbelieving world that this is how Christians act. That Christians can be petty just like the real world, the unbelieving world. And I can imagine this going viral somewhere because things always go viral. And one of the comments that I could imagine coming up is this. Why should I join the church? Why should I follow Jesus when they are no different than me? And Paul is rightfully angry. For for him, this destroys the purity of the church and its witness as much as sexual impurity does. Instead, he says to the people, that you must live like children of God. That you must live as people who have been given wisdom beyond the wisdom of this world. That you yourself have the wisdom of God in you, the wisdom of Christ, to judge such things. 
He shames them in order for them to look at themselves. He says, listen, do you not know that one day all of you will judge the angels? I don't know exactly what this means. And the commentators are all over the place on this. But one thing that we do know is this, is that we are more precious to God than the angels. That if there was a hierarchy of, of, of being, it would be God himself, then us, then the angels. God's saying that for us, we will have standing above them to, to judge them according to whatever standards of righteousness there are for the angels. If that is who you are, how precious God is, you are to God, do you not know that you can mediate between brothers and sisters? There are several things I want to stop to talk about here that are very pragmatic. Number one, if you have an issue with someone here one-on-one -on -one, and, and you know it's, it's a trivial matter in, in the sense that you don't need someone to sort of unwind and un, unwind sort of the complexities of the issue. Just very straightforward. Someone owes someone 100 bucks. Someone promised someone X, Y, and Z, didn't, didn't deliver an X, Y, and Z, so forth and so forth. It's trivial in the sense that it's very easy to see both Parties know exactly what the issue is, and both parties know sort of, you know, that they have to sort of figure it out. Okay, that's what I mean by trivial. Not trivial, I mean something that's very complicated, maybe it involves three or four people, maybe it involves like five or six years of, of really strange, of, of relational anxiety, and that's not what I'm talking about. Something very simple and trivial, easy to deal with. Number one, the two of you, need to get together, and as brothers and sisters, you need to talk it out. To be clear about what the issue is, clear about what the offense may be, and clear about a road that will lead to reconciliation for the both of you. Now, if it's something trivial, that really doesn't harm the church as a whole, but you know that if you were to blow it up, it would harm the church as a whole, and this takes wisdom to figure that out. Listen to what he says in verse 7. I know this is hard for many of you to, to accept, but he says this, to have lawsuits at all with one another is already a deep feat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded. You're like, oh, no, 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 no. Don't say that. I need my $20 back. No, 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 no. Don't say that. It's my right to get what is lawfully mine. God sets an option Really an option is to get defrauded and to let it go. 
for the sake of the church, for the peace of the church. Now you're able to do that because, not because you're strong in character, but because you know that Christ has given his life for you, all things. That nothing you have belongs to you anyway. That this is an opportunity to show grace and show love. Now, this is not saying that if someone defrauds you once, you let them defraud, that you let them defraud you a second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth time. What it does mean is that you prayerfully and lovingly and perhaps with a little bit of firmness, if necessary, talk truth and love to that person. Can you do that? The answer is yes. Do you want to do that? The answer to many of you is no. I want someone else to take care of this problem. Let me just go straight to court and just get it out of the way. I don't want to deal with complexities of people. I don't want to hear their story. Let's just look at the legal aspect of things, get it done. He goes his way, I go my way, and we figure things out. I encourage all of you keep the purity of the church to keep the witness of the church this should be an, a regular occurrence in your life there's always transactions going on in this place transactions of words transactions of promises transactions of money transactions of food And there will always be misunderstandings. There will always be forgetfulness. And yes, sometimes there will be people who are willfully wanting to make a point for one reason or another. Can you? No, no, no. Not can you. You must. As much as you try to guard the pure, sexual purity of your hearts and your minds, guard the purity of the church by guarding against trivial lawsuits and trivial arguments with one another. And if you have to suffer wrong or be defrauded at times, do so with a generous heart, a loving heart. I guarantee you, every single one of you will have to do this more than once in your lifetime. And I pray that every one of you would do this many times in your lifetime. That your heart would never get hard to say, I don't want to be defrauded again and just not give not be generous, 
with your time, with your love. But that you would be ready to lose for the sake of Christ, for the sake of the church. But you see, there's joy on the flip side of this as well. Do you not know that when you are suffering, when you are defrauded, when, when things go wrong, that you have, again, that same church who is there to do what? To love you. Who's there to do what? To provide for you. To do what? To walk with you in your suffering. To love you. Yes, at times there might be that one person in this church that is sort of that thorn, but there's that other person in that church with their arms out towards you. And somehow in God's economy, it all works. And God's church continues to grow. Brothers and sisters, we are able to do such things because we have been justified. We have been sanctified. Look at verse 11. He says, and such were some of you. In other words, those of you who were the unrighteous, those of you who would not inherit the kingdom of God. In other words, those of you who were sexual immoral, idolaters, those of you who were greedy, who were drunkards, who were swindlers, those of you who would not inherit the kingdom of God. That was what you were before you knew Christ. But Christ has washed you. He sanctified you. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Your identity is no longer in your sexuality. Your identity is no longer in other things that you worship. Your idolatry... Your, your identity is no longer in whether or not my spouse can satisfy me. Your identity is no longer in what I have and what I don't have. Your identity is no, no, no longer in how much can I drink or should I drink to get away from this life. Your, your identity is on how much you party or how much money you have and how much you can steal. That's no longer you. But your identity is hidden and the one who has given you his identity for you. You belong to Jesus. And his love for you is made manifest perfectly in all of those things. You're no longer greedy. You no longer need to swindle people. God is the one who provides. You know that now. You no longer have to be angry at everything. Justify your, yourself with fits of rage. Because you don't get what you want or things don't go the way you perceive that they should. Because God has everything in control. You see that now. 
So when things don't go your way, you see later on, oh my goodness, God actually had this in store for me. Your eyes are open to see that you go, you know what, next time I'm in a position where I will be angry at this, I don't need to. Because God's always provided. You open your eyes. You don't need to be drunk anymore. Or fill your bellies to feel pleasure. You know that man does not live by bread alone. But every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. But your hunger is for his word. For his presence. This is why in Christ Jesus we are willing to die to ourselves and sacrifice all. To be defrauded at times. Again, not the same time by the same person. <laughs> but to show the love of Christ. Is it not Christ who's done the same for us? Who has not been more defrauded than Jesus himself? Who has not lost more than our Savior himself? And he did so for you. Let us rejoice in our Lord. Let us love one another. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy once again. And we ask of you, Lord God, to keep the purity of this church. We know that we are pure in the sense that Jesus' blood has washed away all of our sins, past, present, and future. But we know that we'll always be fighting for purity in this church, Lord. And that fight itself is a sign that we are pure. I know that sounds crazy to some of us. But that's how your Bible teaches us. That the road to sanctific sanctification is the purity that you have given to us by your Spirit. His presence and presence alone defines who we are, defines our ethics towards one another and towards you. So, Lord, we see the church in Corinth, Lord, and the mess that it was, Lord God. And, Father, we, we are no better. All the seeds of the, the troubles in those churches, that church resides here as well. We just ask, Lord, for your grace and your mercy to root them out, to confess them, and to mortify them. That your name, your name alone may shine brightly. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.